right. Welcome. Good afternoon, everybody. What do they say in Australia? Good day. Is that what they, is that what they really say in Australia? Good day. Good day. That's like, a, how are you? Uh, good day. Good day, mate. All right. Uh, today I'm going to be reading from the NIV version of the Bible, uh, just to be sensitive to our guests that are joining us for worship today. And today is a very special day. It is January 11th. Who's excited for January 11th? Woo! <laughs> and today is also our church's first Bring a Friend to Church Day. Hallelujah. So if you are here for the first time, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand, everybody. Let's welcome all the newcomers. Let's raise your hands for the first time. We want to welcome our guests, and uh, we're just so glad that you can join us. Um, we just want to give you a warm welcome as we begin the uh, sermon. It's uh, letting you know that uh, whether you are, are here uh, looking for a church or whether you're here just visiting, uh, that while you're here, uh, that you may feel at home and that, uh, that you may uh, really be blessed in God's presence today. So we want to welcome you all. Now, uh, everybody should have received a name tag on your way in, all right? We don't do this every Sunday. Right, there's mine because it doesn't stick to my wool, wool, wool suit very well. Now, if you didn't get one, please be sure to uh, get one at the end of the service. And if you look on your name tag, some of you have stickers. Okay, the stickers represent uh, uh, people who are visiting for the first time today. Okay, so those are our guests. So be sure to treat them with special honor today. Amen, Amen JSCM? Amen. And then we're going to have refreshments and fellowship after service in the uh, preschool building like we did last week. And today is Nintendo night. All right. So uh, we're setting up four different stations. So there should be plenty of opportunities for everyone just to kind of play and have fun. Uh, if you never played a Mario Kart or Wii Tennis... Uh, Mario Kart. Uh, don't worry, these games are really easy to pick up and play. Uh, our only warning is, please hold on to the Wii Remote. Do not throw it. Okay. I heard a lot of uh, LCD TVs have been coming into the shop because people throw their Wii Remotes by accident. Um, and we also have Winning Eleven, which is a soccer game and a, an NBA, a basketball game. So uh, if you really enjoy playing, we want to encourage you to uh, sign up for our missions fundraiser the following week. We're having a tournament uh, in these four games. So uh, anyone is welcome to uh, compete in your favorite game for prizes. All right. And the pri uh, there is a 10,000 suggested donation to register to play. Uh, but we are promising that the prize will be more than 10,001. Okay. <laughs> So we'll make it worthwhile. Hallelujah. Uh, let's look at John chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. I just want to read that passage again as we start this message. John chapter 6 verses 1 through 6. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, 
that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover feast was near. Now when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Amen. Now if you read this passage, if you read the rest of the passage, uh, you know that this is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, now we, including women and children. Um, and Jesus took five loaves and two fish, and he, he fed 5,000 men. But if you rewind and we pause for a moment, you know, we, we quickly rush into the story of feeding of 5,000 because we're so familiar with it. But if we just take a pause at verse 5, there's something interesting that I would like to preach out from this passage today. Look at verse 5. He says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, if you were Philip, how would you have responded? Jesus asks you this question, where shall we buy bread for these people? The bakery. Uh, patty baguette or tous les jours or Costco. Oh, you, you, you're probably not thinking Paris baguette. You're talking, you're talking about Costco, right? Exactly, right? I mean, I know how I will respond. I will respond with a question. They're like, what do you mean, Jesus? Where should we buy bread for these people? I mean, even if there was a Costco right around the corner, how are we going to pay for all that bread? Where are you going to get that money, Jesus? Just send these miracle groupies home. I was getting late. We're in a remote place. Just send them home. That's how I would probably respond to Jesus. I would just look at him like, you know, what are you talking about? What are you asking me that for? But if you look at Philip's answer, very interesting. I never saw this before. I think this homeboy was a math nerd. Math nerd. Look at his answer. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him, Jesus, well, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. Eight months. Now, how did he come up with that number? That's what I'm asking. Eight months. I mean, this guy had to be, he was definitely a melancholy, right? Jesus, are you serious? All right, well, Jesus, well... If you want to feed these people, there's about, I think there's about four or 5,000 people out there. And then you divide that by 12, uh, um, well, you divide that by the average month's salary. And then you take that and you times it by how many months it'll take. Eight months' salary wouldn't still buy, I mean, I'm just estimating, Jesus. Eight months. Eight months is pretty close. Trust me on that. I mean, this guy was a math nerd. And what Philip was doing is calculating things. And then it didn't make logical sense to him. That they would be able to provide this much food. So he wasn't willing to lift a finger. Trying to make this happen. He was trying to convince Jesus. Hey, using kind of logic. That this is a very pointless question you're asking me right now. Now if you look at Andrew. This homeboy was a choleric. Okay, look at Andrew's response. What did he do? 
He didn't take time to try to calculate how much it will feed, cost to feed all these people. He just got all, hey, hey, who got, who got, Jesus wants to feed these people. Food, food, food. Hey, little boy, come over here. Come, give me all your, give me that bread. Boy, come here. Take that, John. Man, you sure you don't got nothing in your pockets? All right. Jesus, we got five loaves, two fish. Hey, little cleric boy. The goal getter. Hallelujah. Now, the interesting thing to note about this passage is in verse 6. Jesus asked this only to test him, the Bible says. Because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, my question then becomes, why was this necessary? Why did Jesus test Philip in this way? Why didn't he just go straight into the instructions of how he was going to feed the 5,000 people, 5,000 men? Now, later on, maybe Philip was tempted to go back to Jesus after the miracle had happened and being like, you know, yo, Rabbi, that wasn't cool. Why would you ask me that question back then when you knew you were going to do all this miracle stuff? Why'd you, why'd you ask me that question? Why are you trying to make me look like a fool in front of everybody? Making me look like the math nerd that I am in front of everybody. You know, he might, maybe he was tempted to go back to Jesus and ask him those kinds of questions. Why did Jesus put his disciples to the test before performing this miracle? It's a question. Now, let me ask you another question. When you were in college... Or high school. How many of you guys in here liked taking tests? Yeah, we got one brother. One enthusiastic brother and sister. All right. All right yeah, exactly. Man, I remember when I was at NYU during finals week, I would sometimes I would pull three consecutive all-nighters. I just would not sleep for three days straight in order to get those exams done. Because, you know, I'm... Like most of y'all, don't, don't play like you're not, you don't sympathize with me. Well, I'm a procrastinator, right? So, you know, instead of pacing out my homework, I would do it all in the last week of school. And, you know. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And with such a little sleep, man, I'd be walking around the campus like a zombie. And I remember when finals week was over for the first time, my freshman year, first semester, I literally, I remember feeling so good that finals, all the tests were over. I ran around the campus shouting freedom like Braveheart. I, I really did that. Like past midnight. Hallelujah. And my Taiwanese friend Helen looked at me like I was crazy. Now, I remember when I was 13. And it came time to get my yellow belt in karate. I mean, that was one test that I will never forget. My African-American sensei... Tyrone, Sensei Tyrone Wiggins, ex-U.S. Marine, dishonorably discharged. Uh, I mean, he, he got into a fight in Okinawa. And uh, to make a long story short, this bigger uh, African-American Marine was like cutting it in front of him in the movie line. And, and was like, excuse me, sir, you just cut in front of me in, in, in this line. And the bigger dude was like, so what? What you gonna do? And then my sensei was like, all right, well, I don't, want, I don't want none of this. I just want you to remove yourself from the line, please. 
And the guy was like, man, make me, you know, punk. And he swung. And my sensei, with the quickness, he just dodged the, dodged the punch. And he did a spinning, round, uh, spinning back kick on, his, on, the, on the guy's chin. And he killed him. All right, so. <laughs> That's why he was discharged. <laughs> now, that was my sensei. All right. When it came down to giving me my yellow belt, man, he did not make it easy. He made that test like the hardest test in the world. It was like a four-hour yellow belt test. Man, I remember that. My mom came to watch me, too. She was, like, crying on the side. Like, what are you out there? <laughs> Dying. I don't like tests. Many of us do not enjoy taking tests. But at the same time, we know that tests are a fact of life. From the first grade to 12th grade or to college graduation, we take thousands of tests. In order to become a doctor or a lawyer, you expect that doctor to have failed. I mean, to have passed. <laughs> you mean touch my kids. Uh, to have passed all his tests. If you... Inside to a Korean air pilot on your way into the flight, you expect him to have passed all his tests. It's a fact of life, right? And for some families, in order to marry their daughter, right, you got to pass a test. Yeah. Hallelujah. Brothers, hallelujah. That's why some brothers won't, won't, won't go through with the whole marriage thing because they'd be like, hey, how, how's your daddy? How's your dad? What's your daddy like? You know, you know, there's a test coming up. Now, tests are a fact of life. Now, in the Christian walk, God also utilizes tests. You know, we've got to think about that. You know, we, we dislike tests so much. We might think, well, our God is a good God. He wouldn't put me to the test like my my evil professor who used to do pop quizzes and my Korean language teacher that insisted on giving me a test in almost every single class. He wouldn't be that. He's a good guy. But brothers and sisters, tests are found all throughout the Bible. You look in Genesis chapter 22. You would think, you know, when you get mad old, you don't have to deal with tests anymore. Right? Abraham was over 100 years old. And the Bible says in Genesis 22, God tested Abraham by telling him to go up a mountain. Right, that wasn't the whole test. But man, if I was Abraham, I'd be like, why, you want me to go up a mountain? That, that would be a test to me right there. <laughs> I wouldn't even hear the rest of the test. But the rest of the test was to go up the mountain and sacrifice his son Isaac. God put Abraham to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us that God gave the Israelites manna. In order to humble and test them. Judges chapter 2 verse 22 says that when God observed the pattern of backsliding among the Israelites. Joshua was supposed to, you know, he was supposed to uh, clear out all the nations, all the uh, pagan nations that were there. But God intentionally left enemy nations around Israel. And the Bible says God did that in order to test them. And see whether they will keep the way of the Lord. Very interesting. It's not like Joshua came up short. 
It's just that God was concerned about the faithfulness of the Israelites. So he kept those enemy nations around. And I think about, think about some of the enemies you have at work. <laughs> Maybe God's keeping them there. You're like, Lord, I can't wait till Mike is fired. Lord, that, what he did last week, that, come on, that's gotta get him fired. Lord, fire him! Lord, make him trip on something today. Or you might pray like that, but God's like, uh-uh. I'm gonna keep Mike there. Mike is wonderful. Cause he's helping me test you. <laughs> now, truth be told, it can be quite uncomfortable when God puts a man to the test. You see, God doesn't always grade on the curve. And he doesn't give multiple choice. In fact, a lot of the times, you don't even know when the tests are scheduled for. God seems to be big on pop quizzes, right? These surprise tests, you know? I used to hate them teachers, you know? You just walk in and they have a big old smile on their face and be like, oh, snap, what's going on? Surprise, everybody, pop quiz. Take out your pen and paper and write down these questions. Oh, man, did it again. She did it again, got me. Now, those are the hardest tests, amen? Those pop quizzes. Because you don't know when or where it's going to take place, so you got to just always be prepared. And that's what, you know, if you are a teacher, you know, Hagwon teacher, or even if you're elementary school teacher, that's kind of like what you want to produce in your kids. You want them to like really learn the material and just always be ready. So, you know, in, in that way, you know how powerful a pop quiz is. Like if you can like bring that pop quiz, I will bring this out if you don't study. You don't do your homework, I will utilize the pop quiz. I mean, that's a powerful thing. You know, because it's a powerful tool. Because, you know, it makes the students like really be diligent. Now, I mean... I don't mind taking a test now and then. You know, although I don't like tests, I don't know, I don't mind it taking a test if I know that it's coming up and I'm able to prep myself for it. But you know what? No one likes taking tests unprepared. Amen? It's the worst feeling in the world. I have a recurring nightmare. A recurring nightmare. I walk into my high school, like, calculus or trigonometry class. And I remember my African-American teacher, Mrs. Weston. Mrs. Weston. We, we truly believed that she had a bottle of scotch under her desk. And she would drink that in between. I'm serious. Because she'd come out all trippy like, all right, y'all, we got to study some math. Uh, y'all better not be smoking up them joints. I right, don't be doing that stuff. It's not good for you. I should just like, I like really be like tipsy. Anyway, I have this recurring nightmare. I'm, I'm going to class and she gets a pop quiz. I'm just like totally unprepared. It's like this worst feeling and then I wake up. It's one of the worst feelings in the world, right? But whether we like it or not, we got to realize that not only are tests a simply a fact of life, but it is a fact of faith. Faith only grows when faith is tested. I'm sorry to share that news with you. Faith only grows when faith is tested. But and sisters, before you start hating on this idea, 
that your faith will only grow as it's tested. Let me talk about some of the benefits of tests. Let's talk about some of the benefits. There are benefits of tests. Number one, tests give us an occasion to release faith or to act in faith. Tests, it gives us the occasion to release or to act in faith. You see, when Jesus asked Philip, where should we buy bread? Jesus was giving Philip an occasion to exercise faith. You see, if you read the Gospel of Mark, it has the same account of the feeding of the 5,000. Chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Chapter 8, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Then later in chapter 8, when the disciples forget to bring bread onto the boat, despite seeing the thousands fed miraculously, they were still hung up on the fact that they didn't bring bread onto the boat. So Jesus is like, oh, he's like so frustrated. And in verse 21 of, uh, in that chapter, he says, do you not yet understand? Why are you guys so worried about bread on the boat? I just fed 5,000, 4,000. All right. And he, and he gave the disciples occasions for faith by testing them. But you see, they, they totally failed the test. That's why they got on the boat and they were just all worried about not having bread on the boat. Hallelujah. Man, I would think, you know, if I, if I was them, I would just be like, yo, you don't got no bread? Yo, 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 Jesus, yo, do what you did back there. Hallelujah. Can you, like, bring up some, like, steak while you're at it? Ba-bam, steak. Oh, snap. How about a knife and a fork? <laughs> now, sometimes God just tests us so that we can have an opportunity to release faith. And faith grows when faith is exercised. Amen? Number two, tests assess our maturity or lack of maturity. It gives you a hardline assessment of where you're really at. You see, when you're not tested, you start to think, oh, I'm a pretty good Christian. <laughs> I'm a pretty good pastor. <laughs> and then when a test comes, it really shows you the true state of your faith. Uh, there's a TV show called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Hallelujah. It's an American show. All right. Everybody say that. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Uh, ask your neighbor that. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Now, in this TV show, they challenge average American adults. And they test them on TV to see whether that person is truly smarter than a fifth grader. So they have all these fifth graders, like real-life fifth graders, and they answer questions. And then they have that American adult, usually from California. That's my, that's my theory. All right, because come on, man. They do so bad on that show. All right, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. All right. That's a little joke. You know, if you watch a Jay Leno show, you know, usually he picks out like Californians that really can't answer average questions. All right. Now, I love West Side. West Side! All right. We love, we love the, we love the Californians. You know, a person may think that he's ready to graduate. That person may think he knows it all. But testing allows us to see what the real situation is. It confronts a person with reality. So, uh, yeah, 
I mean, in this show, I mean, people will be like, yeah, I think I'm somewhere in the fifth grade. I'll give it a shot, you know. But they're, you know, they're playing for money. Obviously, they wouldn't just come on the show just to answer that question. Or they're, they're trying to win money, right? And then there would be like something, something real simple, like that a fifth grader does know, like where, what are, where are, um, I was like, what kind of electricity is lightning? Is it alternating? Is it static? Or is it something else? Or I forget the third option. And then the adults like, oh, I don't know. Can I consult a fifth grader? <laughs> and then the fifth grader goes, I think it's alternating. And then they, they write it down. And then, and then he goes, okay, uh, I'm going to go with the fifth grader. Or, or he says, no, I'm going to go with my instinct. I think it's, you know, static or something. Right? And then they show the answer. And the fifth grader gets it right. And the adult gets it wrong. And then they go, oh, well, sorry. All right. Well, you come to the part of the show where you got to say what you got to say. All right, look in the camera. All right. And they make them look in the camera at the end of the show. They go, I am not smarter than a fifth grader. <laughs> a lot of times they smile because they know they're feeling like an idiot. <laughs> now, in the same way, a person can claim, I love God. I'm willing to pay the price for revival. I am willing to pay the cost of a disciple. I'm ready to be a leader in the church. But these statements are really quite empty until the preferring faculties of the heart are tested. And when it is tested, it's it's empty until you, you are tested and you actually choose God over the things that you're being tested about. You choose to pay the price for revival or leadership at the cost of something else that's valuable to you. That's when these statements, God takes them seriously. And he he knows that they are true. God utilizes tests, brothers and sisters, in order to humble us. It's not to humiliate us like this show. But it's to humble us and to show us where we're truly at. See, if we don't really... See ourselves soberly. The Bible says, think of yourselves as sober judgment. A lot of times, pride blinds us. And we think of ourselves, we tend to think we're over here. When God is trying to use tests to show us we're over here. You see, when you know you're here, you know you depend on God more. You read the Bible more. You pray more because you know you need to continue to grow. But as long as you're up here, comfort, complacency, you don't go anywhere. I mean, just live in your own dream world. You may say, I love God more than anything else, but if God leads you to conduct a one-month fast from something that's dear to you, like Facebook, or for the ladies, chocolate, whole month without chocolate, can you do it? Can you do it? <clears throat> can you do it? Whole month without chocolate. All right? If God tested you like that, I love God more than Baskin Robbins. God's like, all right, let's see it. Can you really do it? But it is in these tests that our maturity or lack of maturity is assessed properly. Another benefit of tests is God uses tests to mature us. The Bible says in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete 
lacking nothing. Testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance in turns, in turn produces full maturity. Or it says in Romans chapter 5, perseverance produces character. Character, which is a sign of maturity or maturity, as some people like to say. Hallelujah. The testing of your faith doesn't simply assess our maturity, but it can accelerate it when we have joy through the tests. Amen? Now, uh, there's an author of My Utmost for His Highest. It's a daily devotional, Oswald Chambers. And he said something very interesting that stuck out to me. He said, a saint or a Christian realizes that it is God who engineers his circumstances. Consequently, there are no complaints, only unrestrained surrender to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, did you know that God engineers your circumstances? You think your mama forgot, but God engineered it. You think that your company made a mistake, but God engineered it. If you are walking in the will of God, and you are, you, are, you are in submission, surrender, you have a good, right relationship with God, and you've been praying up, you pray it up, you pray, and you're, you're seeking the perfect will of God for your life, and these weird detours, these unexpected things happen in your life, Oswald Chambers is saying, there's no coincidence. God engineers your circumstances. But this is what I'm, what I'm teaching you here with this is, it's a liberating, freeing truth. God engineers your circumstances. When you truly understand that, you don't have complaints. You don't let that touch your joy. You're able to remain in faith. Hallelujah. And when we are faithful with the tests of today, God will expand our territory tomorrow. Amen? I said amen. Amen. And the larger the task ahead, the bigger the test required now. So if you are... Looking for God to use you in powerful ways. Look for some big tests around you. Because the bigger the task, the bigger the test. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, God loves us too much to have you take on a responsibility that he knows is too big for you right now. He knows your character is not there yet. He knows your diligence and your maturity is not there yet. He loves us too much to give us something too big for us and we just end up in shame and we mess it up. So he waits patiently. Sometimes him delaying success is the most loving thing he can do for us. Hallelujah. Some people get mad impatient and they just rush into it. And God, sometimes he'll just allow it. You know what? And then they, they reap the fruits of their lack of sowing. Now, brothers and sisters, with that said, these, these benefits, there are these benefits of, under, of, 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 of testing. And we, we begin to understand that the circumstances of our life, God engineers those details. Right? Uh, a natural question you may ask is, how can we prepare for the tests of life? All right, and I'm just going to go over three points. Three things that we can do to prepare for the testing of your faith. Number one, read your textbook. 
Now, as a high school, college student, how did you prepare for the exams most of the time? You read your textbook. Now, you didn't just even read it. You studied it. You didn't just study it. You memorized it. And you didn't just study it randomly, but you focused on those areas that you knew you were having trouble with. Right? Well, in the same way, reading, studying, memorizing the Word of God is essential to passing the various tests of our faith. Amen? The Word of God. And for those who don't have a good memory, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That all God's tests are open book. Hallelujah. You can always look. Well, you just got to know where to look. Now, when you don't study your textbooks, guess what happens? You fail the test. And God sends the same test into your life over and over again. If you fail particular tests, God doesn't say, all right, he's having trouble with this one. Let me just give him another one. Now, God says, all right, you got to pass this to get on to this one. Just like your second grade teacher wouldn't let you go to third grade unless you pass the test from second grade. God also, there's levels of your maturity and faith. Full maturity, James chapter 1 talks about. Because there is a fullness, there is a maturity level that we need to reach. Hallelujah. So if you fail a test, guess what? You're taking it again. You fail it again, guess what? Retake. You fail it again, guess what? Comes again. And some people, man, they just like, they never get it. They're forever taking the same test. I should know I'm one of them. Hallelujah. In certain areas of character, I'm still taking the same test. I mean, when I'm on the road, God be testing me. Especially here in Seoul. I noticed that I keep taking the same test. <laughs> it's a different kind of road test, brothers and sisters. Crazy. I just see taxi driver. Just cuts me off. Like this morning, man, I'm on my way there. I'm like thinking about this sermon. Like God tests us. God tests us. And then this homeboy in the back, right, starts honking at me at the red light. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Right? That's what I thought. I didn't say it. So I was, I was doing good. I was doing good. And you know, Aaron's just like, you know, doing whatever. <laughs> she didn't even notice that the guy honked. You know, but of course I noticed. And the green light comes. Right, I start moving forward, kind of, you know, good speed. And the homeboy, he needs to cut me off on the side, speed ahead of me, and almost like hit me on the cutting me off. And I'm like, what was the point of that? Right? And I was like, oh, snap, no. And I stepped on my gas, and then I realized that my car is not a sports car. <laughs> Didn't really respond. <laughs> Didn't really go anywhere. I was like, all right, God, I'll take a hint. You're testing me. But, oh yeah, man, same test over and over again. You know, this reminds me of a classmate back in Philadelphia from sixth grade. When I was, uh, what, 12 years old, my classmate, homeboy, was 16. Sixth grade, and the homeboy was 16. And the brother flunked four times. Like second grade, second grade. And they couldn't find him again. So they put him up to third grade. Failed third grade. I mean, snap. He's, he flunked four times. How do you flunk? First of all, how do you flunk second grade? All you got to do is like go to recess. 
and write your name on the paper. Man, that homie was one sorry dude. I remember back in the day, there used to be these commercials about drugs. You know, a mind, you know, this, this is drugs. And then they, they show like oil on a frying pan. And then they drop eggs on that joint and say, this is your mind on drugs. <laughs> Any questions? And then it's like, it says a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Man, every time I saw that commercial on TV, I always thought of that brother. <laughs> and he wasn't even on drugs. You know what I'm saying? Man, he was forever taking the same test. But in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about how seeds that fall on rocky ground, they represent people who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But because they have no root after believing for a while, the Bible says they fall away in the time of testing. Very interesting. They hear the word, they receive the word with joy, but they fall away in the time of testing. Why do they fall away like that in the time of testing? Why? Because like my sixth grade classmate, they're not reading the textbook. They have no root, as Jesus is saying. But when you read in the word of God, hallelujah, when you are tested, you will not fall away. It's like a house built on a rock. Storm comes. But Jesus said, if you hear the word, you do the word. You study this word, hallelujah. Storm can beat on that rock, on that house. It will not fall. So first one, how can you prepare for the test? Read the textbook. Second, how can you prepare for the test? Be prayed up. Prayed up. When Jesus was about to face his ultimate test of going to Calvary, he made a pit stop in Gethsemane. Right? And there was one thing he did in that place to ready himself for the cross. What did he do? Did he start taking out Old Testament? Let me, let me study up on Old Testament right before I go to the cross. Uh-uh. How did he ready himself for that test? He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. He told his disciples, join him in prayer, fell asleep. So he said, all right, I got to go back and pray some more because his homeboys ain't praying. He came back, hey, come on, get up, y'all, pray. I told you I'm going to die. And look at y'all, y'all sleeping. Man. And he goes and prays and comes back and he's still asleep. Jesus had to get prayed up on that night. Brothers and sisters, once you've studied the scriptures, you got to start praying the scriptures. You got to appropriate the provisions and promises of God in prayer. Right? So, you know, the only times some people pray is when they're about to take a test. Right? <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> I've done that a, a few times myself. But if you think about it, that's not the wisest time to pray. Especially in the tests of faith. First of all, you should be using that time to take the test. Not the wisest time to pray. Second, you do a lot better if you came to the test prayed up. Be prayed up. Whenever God, he warns me about opposition through a prophetic word, a spiritual attack, or anything that's going to put my faith to the test, right? I start getting prayed up in that area right away. Because I know that when the, when the situation happens, I'm going to fail the test if I'm not prayed up. You know, Pastor Paul, you know, I told him one time, I was like, you know, I think, you know, JSM is going to come through these hard times. And these prophetic words are saying that these kinds of certain evil spirits are going to attack our church in this way. And, and Pastor Paul was like, all right, brother, let me pray for you. I'm just praying for me. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Hallelujah. And then we start, amen. And he's like, all right, brother, you got to get prayed up about that situation. Because when that situation hits, the devil's going to attack you every which way that you're vulnerable. If you prayed up. 
You want to be ready to take that on. God's going to protect and deliver you. He's going to be faithful. Be prayed up. That's the best advice I, he, you know, hallelujah ever gave me. Don't wait till the last minute, brothers and sisters. Be prayed up. Be prayed up. Especially for tests that you know are on their way. And third is how can you prepare for a test? Get to know the tester. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm going right into the logic of your heads. In life, when we want to pass a test, what do you try to do? All right. If you're a cheater, you try to get the answers to the test. You try to get the, get, you got to try to find out what's on the test. But if you're not a cheater, right? You try to understand the one who's administering the test. It's key to passing that class or getting good grades. Try to get inside that professor's head. Hey, professor, can I take you out for some coffee? Oh, professor's like, oh, great, thank you. Oh, wow, my students usually don't do this. And you're like, I don't usually do this. But I need to get my A, and you will not stop me. You just start talking, get to know, and you start getting that boy's head. Now, brothers and sisters, we can't find out what's on the test, so don't even try it. But what we can do is we can get to know the tester. Get to know him. The more you know him, the better prepared you are for his test. Amen? I mean, usually when God sends you a test, his fingerprints are all over it. Crazy texty ajashi. There you go, Christian. I'm like, ah, oh, snap, God. The Bible says in Proverbs 17.3, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Think about every test you've taken in your life. It was usually... A test of either your mind or your body. Like my sensei made me go through. But the Lord alone can test the heart. Man may look at a person's academic degrees or the external appearance of a man, but the Bible says God looks at the heart. That's why God tests the heart. Because he knows what is in a man's heart. David understood this. First Chronicles 29. Verse 17, David said, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you are pleased with integrity. See, David knew his tester and he knew that his tester was looking for integrity. So he made sure that he was he was trying to build that up. But it's just, the more you know the tester, the more you'll be ready for the tests that he brings. And hallelujah, in closing, you know, I gave you some benefits of tests. In closing, if you really want to see an unveiled glimpse of why the Lord puts his people to the test, check out Isaiah 48. If you have your Bible, turn this and we'll close with this. Isaiah 48, verses 10 through 11. To get an unveiled glimpse of why God puts us to the test. Check out Isaiah 48. It says, see, Isaiah 48, verse 10 and 11. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, 
for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Why does God test us? Why does he utilize even suffering, affliction to test us? And some people believe that God doesn't do, do stuff like that. He doesn't use things like affliction. That Daniel was unfortunately found in the lion's den. Why does God test us even through these kinds of tough things? And the Bible answers, for my own sake. For my own sake I do this. The Lord puts us through the furnace of affliction for the glory of his name. If you can understand this, it will liberate, it will liberate you to face the most difficult of circumstances. If you can understand this truth, if you think testing is just all about developing your character and maturity, oh, so there are some tests that you will not be able to handle. But this is an unveiled look at why the Lord puts Joseph in prison. And why God puts Daniel in the lion's den. And why God puts Paul in shipwrecks. Why? For the sake of his glory. For the sake of his glory. It's not simply for maturity that God tests us. God sometimes tests us simply to display his glory. And this was the case of our brother Job in the Bible. Here is a man already mature. Here is a man already blameless. He is at a place of such maturity and character that God himself says, Wow, look at this man. Have you considered my servant Job? Then why did God put Job to the test then? The answer is Isaiah 48, verses 10 and 11. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God is glorified, brothers and sisters, when his people act in faith and Christ-like character through times of testing. So, brothers and sisters, let us always be ready for the tests of our faith. For our God is glorified when we pass these tests. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what a sobering Yet liberating truth. God, my prayer for each person here today is that God, that they will stop despising the tests that you send their way. That they will stop grumbling about the tests. They will stop thinking how illogical or how inconvenient the tests 
of life are. And that God, they, they will begin to see from heaven's perspective. That each person will see that the testing of our faith is producing perseverance, which in turn leads and produces character. And God, Lord, there is no other way that Christ-like character will be birthed and demonstrated in sinners' hearts and sinners' lives without the testing of their faith. But God, Lord, even higher than that, God, we also know that upon the blameless, upon those who are walking in your ways, you still test them. And God, Lord, where there is a mystery to certain tests, especially very difficult ones, oh God, that we have no answer for. I pray that in those times we will see Isaiah 48. We will see that you do this, oh God, Lord. And you do this, oh God, Lord, for my sake, for my glory, hallelujah. That they will, we will see that you do this for your glory and you will yield that glory. You will not yield that glory to any other, hallelujah. Liberate us, oh God, for your, for, with your word in our lives, oh God. That our hearts would always respond with joy in all kinds of affliction and suffering and tests, knowing and trusting always that you are a good God. Although the situations of life might be bad, you are a good God. Although we fail, you love us with an unfailing love. Hallelujah. Let's just take one moment and uh, just want to invite the congregation just to respond with prayer. Let's pray.